Well, hello, and welcome to Grace Unscripted. I am your host, Audrey Wallace, and today I had the pleasure of interviewing Pastor Joe Caruso. Pastor Joe, Joe, whatever you want to call him, we'll get into that in this interview. And I loved hearing from Joe and getting to understand his heart and his history and his journey that we have the great gift here at Grace Church of having on staff and really just having as part of the DNA of Grace Church. So let's go in. Pastor Joe, Joe, whatever you call him around these parts. <laughs> uh, welcome, Joe. Thank you very much. Yeah, and any of those are acceptable. I've been <laughs> called much worse and many different things, but um, and I will be honest, I'll even just say this. I remember the first couple times somebody called me Pastor Joe, and I'm like, oh, that feels weird. Ooh. And I'm not sure it's ever fully settled in, even though I'm much more used to it now. Well, but. let's dig into that a little bit here. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm very excited specifically about interviewing Joe because he's been a big part of my experience here at Grace. Extension, what, what? <laughs> um, we'll get more into that too. But um, I think that Joe has so many incredible gifts, and I've gotten the privilege of sitting in some small rooms, small sessions with him that I have learned so much about God, about his skill set, and, you know, how I can be more like him. And that's (laughs) something that I love. So wonderful. Well, let's get into it here. Um, Joe, you just said... um, having someone call you Pastor Joe for the first time. I yeah. think there's that barrier, right? There's that Pastor Joe-ness. Yeah. So talk, let's get started there. What's that like? You yeah, know? so there's a few reasons why that struck me odd early on and then still feels weird today. So um, my my grandfather was actually a pastor um, of a small church, and um, I loved my grandpa. Great guy, like, don't get me wrong. But he he was like... If any of you grew up in a small church in some ways, like my grandpa was probably the typical, like um, a little bit overbearing when it came to the church. Mm-hmm. And also and in small churches, um, the pastor kind of does everything. So like my grandfather yes. was also the guy that mowed the lawn. He was also the guy that fixed the pipes when the boiler broke. He was the guy that, you know, organized the re-roofing team. He 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 did. He was the maintenance guy and the teacher and the pastor and all that kind of stuff, which is absolutely fine. But I remember growing up with that, and I remember like I never want to do what Grandpa does. Mm-hmm. Like, and matter of fact, in college, I took a religion class my freshman year, and I forget what the assignment was, but I wrote a paper about how I would never become a pastor. <laughs> and so, x amount of years later, when I'm being christened, if you will, as Pastor Joe. I was a youth pastor at another local church. Uh, for Actually, it was the church I was attending through late high school and college. Um, and I remember the first couple people started calling me Pastor Joe, and it just, all of that kind of flooded back, you know, to where like, I, I said I would never do this. Uh, that's not who I quote unquote wanted to be. Um, and then there was also this weight to it. Um, like, I think most of us probably look to pastors as like you're supposed to be an example, you're yes. supposed to be this, that, and the other. And like I saw myself, and to a certain degree, I still see myself. I'm like, I'm just a guy trying to figure it out that desperately needed Jesus mm-hmm. and that apparently God wants me to be in this role of pastor. And so like to feel that weight knowing that like I just also personally desperately need Jesus is uh, a little bit of a paradox in my emotional brain that I can't quite fully get over. 
I'm so glad to know more about you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing all of that. Yeah. So that that's interesting to think that, um, you know, there's so much depth for you behind that pastor title, as mm-hmm. well as for us on the other side who are looking at that pastor title. Yeah. And I think a good suggestion is really to get to know that first name version of our, our pastors. If you're listening and you feel that way, like, oh, there's Pastor Joe. Yeah. One time, Pastor Jeff asked me to come to his office. Like, you thought going <laughs> right. to the principal's was bad. Like, going to the head pastor's office was really hard. So, yep. yeah, I think breaking down that barrier and, and being vulnerable like that is a great way to do that. Um, so I would love to understand, because I have known you. What year did you start here at Grace? Uh, in 08. Oh, eight. So yeah. I was at the church at that time. Yep, yep. So, and I remember like the staff at that time and the transitions. So when you, um, was that, you said you were a youth pastor prior. Yep. I did that for three years. Yep. And then you came to Grace to mm-hmm. do what? Yeah. So um, actually this kind of started in my youth ministry. So uh, when I was a youth pastor, um, my wife, uh, in so many ways, taught me how to be a youth pastor. Uh, she was in a great youth ministry growing up, and yes, that was me brown-nosing a little bit with Pastor Jeff because she was in Pastor <laughs> Jeff's youth group. Uh, but cool. So she just saw a lot of health in her youth ministry, and mm. in the youth ministry that I grew up in at my grandfather's church, yes. it was like me and my two cousins. I can relate to that. <laughs> so I didn't know what that was supposed to look like. And one of the things that she strongly recommended that we do was we took kids on like missions trips and we chose inner city Philadelphia as mm-hmm. the location for those. And um, there's a whole lot that we could get into there, but I just, as as I got more involved with that inner city mission and mm-hmm. as we were reading some books, I remember one book was called The Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne. And there was another one called The Jesus of Suburbia by Mike Ayer. Mm. Um like I read those books and I was reading through the scriptures a ton as well. And I just felt this overwhelming um, nudge, call, burden that like the people of God are supposed to be where people are in need. Yes. And um, and specifically, maybe it's because I was in Philly for those trips. Maybe it's because of the nature of those books I was reading. But I had this like overwhelming uh, passion for the city forming. And uh, the church I was at was, like, in a town where I'm pretty sure there were more cows than people. Okay, yeah. And so, like, uh, you know, neat church, have so much love for the people of that church and the leadership there, but I knew that that nudge could not play out in this farm town. And so I really began praying about, like, well, what am I supposed to do then? Because growing up in that small church with my grandfather and now being a part of this independent church, I was like, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Well, I was invited to be a part of this small network of youth pastors, um, and we went on a trip to Brooklyn, which definitely kept exacerbating that <laughs> idea of being involved in the yes. city. And um, Brad Dietz Creek, who's our family ministries pastor here, and at the time was just the youth pastor at our campus, and he was, was supposed newly, to be on that trip, and he was newly arrived at Grace. Yeah, he at was that time maybe too. a year old into being at Grace. Yes. Well, he didn't get to go on that trip. So when I got back home, we caught up. It was kind of a swap shop, you know, lunch. But then also it was like, what happened on the trip? What I missed? That kind of stuff. And I was telling him, and then I got into this, like, Brad, Mm -hmm. I have this overwhelming heartbeat to somehow get involved in the city. And I don't know what to do with it. And this trip just blew it, the lid off of that. Well, he said, well, you know, it's a little crazy that you say that because one of the things that Grace has felt very passionate about over the last year or so is we have to get more involved in the city. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and so um, I called up Jeff, who I hadn't met before because he actually was one of the, we had two pastors do our wedding and he was one of them. Um, but that was it. I had met him one premarital session because my other pastor did that and then for the wedding itself. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, Brad told me that you're looking at this. And I'm just curious what that means because that's really stirring something up inside of me. So uh, the long story short on that part is I, uh, about two months later, came on staff at Grace. And my initial title was actually the pastor of urban development. Okay. Uh, my, my sole responsibility was to build relationships in our city and then to mobilize our church to be involved in the community. Well, you certainly do that now, mm-hmm. and you do about 27 other <laughs> big, big um, things There's as well, things, yeah. so initiatives, not even like little things, like big initiatives, so I want to journey through that a little further. Okay, so pastor of urban development, development. Yeah. got it, okay, so then how did that um, grow and into, man, I'm remembering back, because I got to be on staff for a period of time, yeah. it was... Mm-hmm. 2010, 11, something like that. I think you were first impressions lead at that time, right? So there's been a journey throughout here. So talk more about the development of of your roles within the church and how that's come out of this this heartbeat. Yeah. So um, the following spring, um, so that was 08, um, and I felt like uh, in wonderful ways, I got just thrown into it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I guess that fall, right away, um, I was just diving in with our um, some of the re- minuscule relationships we've been forming with some inner city organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one in Barberton that actually no longer exists, but we had a lot of fun doing ministry with them. Uh, there was Urban Vision, which we still have a close relationship with, and some others. And I just like started volunteering at their camps. I started like meeting with their leaders all the time. And so I'm like, I got to get to know what's actually happening in our local city. And then that following spring, um, if you listen to our previous episode, Audrey mentioned eye care. We did eye care that spring. And so that was kind of my first big project wow. at Grace was to help coordinate a lot of our community outreaches there. And um, that's where Feed My Starving Children birthed out of. That was the first time our church wow. had done Feed My Starving Children okay. was at that eye care. Um, and then shortly after that, um, Jeff had reached out to... Um, our like network of churches, global missions agency. Uh, it's called Encompass World Partners now. And he said, hey, we want to start diving more intentionally into Jesus calling our church to be involved globally. Mm-hmm. Dave, the director there, mentioned, he's like, you guys, what are you looking for? Like, Because I want to make sure it's intentional. And Jeff said some things like, we want to help invest in leaders. We want to be in a place where there's a, a strong religion, like maybe a Muslim influence. Mm-hmm. We want to be a part of church planning somehow. He kind of rattled hard off. Hard places. Hard places, <laughs> like where's no one else going? Yes. I mean, it was literally that type of language. Yes. And Dave said, you guys want to go to Chad, yes. Africa. Well, I had the only experience I had ever had internationally before this was um, I had been to Niagara Falls on the Canada side once. <laughs> so uh, not much, right? And, oh, wow. Um, and I had never even been the person that was necessarily like, I dream of traveling overseas. Like, mm-hmm. that wasn't in me. Yeah. But all of a sudden, Jeff's like, hey, do you want to go to Africa with me? And if you don't know much about Jeff, when he says, do you want to, he means <laughs> you're about to go yes. and do this yeah. with me. And so... 
that was my first international experience. I, I got on a plane with um, a, a friend of mine, John Halston, and Jeff Bogue, and a doctor friend that used to be here. And uh, we went over to actually the Central African Republic. We spent a week there kind of exploring the established ministry that was happening in that country. And then we took a small prop plane uh, flown by um, mission aviators and wow. flew from Central African Republic um, up to Chad, Africa. That was a fascinating flight, by the way, to just yeah. kind of fly over some of the African plains in a small Sounds like a scene machine. from a movie. It did kind of feel that <laughs> way a little bit. And then we landed in Chad, where at that time, the, the mission's presence was um, not that established. Fell in love with what was going on there in Chad. We started a formal partnership there. When we got back, Jeff said, hey, like you're already overseeing these community outreaches. Mm -hmm. Would you oversee our global initiatives as well? And so um, I've been in charge of our community and city stuff since 08. I've now been in charge of our global ministry since 09. Well, probably a year or so went from there, and I was asked to oversee our first impressions ministry. No, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That was not... So I'll I'll skip ahead. I'm basically the utility player at Grace yes, Church. Yes, so you're the sweeper. We I am, <laughs> yeah. And so like, I've overseen our adult ministries. Really? Um, and so um, not like our group life, okay. but there was a time right. when like what is now a normal, you know... I like to ride motorcycles. I do that with my buddies. They're, I pray for them. They're, they're, they are my three that I pray for. Um, and then somebody else might say, like, I have a board game night on Friday nights. Well, there was a time when those were, quote, unquote, official ministries of Grace Church. Interesting. So it could be you okay. and your four friends, and it was listed as, like, the board game ministry of Grace. Okay. And so I kind of walked all of those leaders through, like, the transition of this doesn't have to be something official, like you have the freedom to go like figure this out on your own as opposed to jumping through hoops because it's all organized. And mm-hmm. so I spent a year or so doing that. Then I uh, grabbed a hold of our first impressions ministry yes. and I got to oversee all of our weekend teams and um, really had a lot of fun doing that. Um, after that, I oversaw uh, our communications here at yes, Grace for okay. a while. So um, that's when we got like our app started. Um, social media was really starting to come into the forefront. Uh, you couldn't avoid it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how normal that is for us. But, you know, in, in 2000, let's call it 11, some people had an online account and a lot didn't. And yes. so it was just coming on the scene um, in a popular way. Um, and the smartphone thing was pretty fresh then too, right? right? The, um, let's say it was 2011. I forget what exact year it was, but at that point, the iPhone would have only been a four-year-old thing. Exactly. A lot of people still had Blackberries. A lot yep. of people still... So it was... You a, a log in your computer to go to Facebook. Absolutely. <laughs> and so what a different world just 10 years ago was. Um, and so got to do uh, communications for a while. Well, then um, I actually forget the exact uh, time frame that this was, but... Um, we wanted to shift how we were building community over at what was known as the extension. Mm-hmm. Um, and as of then, it was what the word implied. It was an extension of our Bath campus, but there was a lot of rotation as far as leadership was concerned. Yes. It was kind of what pastors, what directors, what leaders were available to be over there on any given week. Um, well, we decided to give it a little bit more emphasis and consistency, and so they asked if I would kind of like 
put the communication stuff aside and mm-hmm. step into being the host pastor mm-hmm. over at our Montrose, what is now known as our Montrose building. And so um, for the last, I don't know, five, six years, um, I've been kind of the consistent face over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know, if you're listening, Montrose is still a part of our Bath campus, um, and we do video teaching. That way the one campus is still right. being shepherded by uh, the same thing. And when you meet up in your small groups or your children's ministries or whatever, it's still one vision and voice. And so um, I will say this, it's amazing how quickly you forget that it's video. Like That's I'll, true. I'll watch it for like 20 seconds. And I'm like, oh yeah, video. And then by the time it's all over, I'm like, you forget yep. so fast. And we all know that if even if you're at Gent Road, you're looking at the side screens oh, where yeah, the zoom ins are happening yep. and the scripture reading. So yeah. you really don't notice. So guys, come on down yeah. to Montrose. It's we so have a good fun. time. And I'll say even beyond consistency, because I think that's like the practical word for it, mm-hmm. but also culture, I think is what mm. was part of that mission was how do we make this, give the space its own feel mm-hmm. and intimacy. And it's a, it's a really, my, um, my friends call it the introverts church. So if you feel, <laughs> if you're at Gent Road and you're feeling like it's a little large, for you, just come on down to the the introverts church. We have yep. everybody will know your name. It's like cheers. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's like cheers. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it is like um, such a fun community, and there's always a buzz in the lobby there because everybody's off in their you know one, two, five person mini circle, just having a conversation and. In case these kind of things make you nervous, it's not clicks. It's no. just easy to jump into a quick conversation with yeah. somebody, and um, and it's not an antithesis, so to speak, to what you would experience at Gent Road. It's like a smaller version of that, and so it's more yes. natural to find yourself in one of those circles of conversation. And um, it's been fun, like just to get to know people. Um, more directly and more intimately as their weekend pastor um, to to recognize more and more faces. And um, it, it's, it's honestly been a consistent joy and pleasure to keep mm-hmm. doing that. And it's probably, um, I mean, we certainly knew each other before being heavily invested at Montrose, but it's where I got to know you and Gary a That's lot right. better. Um, and, and so that was a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I watch... Um, the different families that come there and join and and enter into those little circles and and build new circles and overlap the circles and yep. and that's where the goodness happens. So I love that. Um, okay, so we went from urban development to now really global development. Yeah. So how many countries have you now been to? Do, are you able to count? Uh, so one of the yes, um, and one of the reasons I can count is because we are um, more passionate about passionate about investing in a few places deeply Mm -hmm. than we are in a bunch of places kind of as we can go. So our church goes to lots of places because, you know, one guy's invested in a sports ministry in Belize and another Mm -hmm. guy does this thing because of his connection with a college friend. Like, we love that. Like, there is no cap to what people are, quote unquote, allowed to do with missions. But like the formal emphasis, um, I've been to Chad multiple times now. Uh, I've been to Mexico um, probably close to two dozen times. Wow. Um, I've been to Guatemala. We just opened up that partnership in 2021. Um, we've been to Haiti a lot. Um, and so those are like the four places I've been that are partnerships for us. But then we also have a partnership over in Myanmar. Um, I've not been there. Yeah, I've not uh, heard of that and one. And so, well, it was interesting. So we support... Um, 
uh, I'm actually going to keep their names off the air just in case, uh, just because of the way things work. Uh, but we support a couple and, and their kids that um, used to do ministry and some stuff in Thailand. And now they're doing work in Myanmar with a tourism agency and stuff like that. And um, we, we just love the way that they're good at just loving their community mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Very excited about their work and, and just the way in which they love people and serve people. It's really, really fun. I just haven't had the pleasure of being over there. They've had to switch agencies. They've had to switch a few things. Then, um, you know, some of the crazy stuff broke out in those countries. And so we haven't been able to take teams there, trips there and stuff because of just all of that, which is why a lot of people don't know about it as well. Yeah. But we've been working with them now for the past four or five years. It's been fun. Okay. Yeah. Is that on your list? You're going to you're gonna make it I would it love there. to go there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. excellent. Well, that's um, that's really fun. You mentioned Guatemala just opened up mm-hmm. in 2021. What's the what's the passion there? What's the root of that? Yeah, so Why it's, Guatemala. It's funny how God works. Um, so there's a guy at our church. A lot of you might know him because he has served in a lot of various capacities. Um, he and his wife do a lot of marriage groups. Um, they, they've just done a ton of things. But um, Michael Mancari uh, works at an organization called Food for the Hungry. And so um, over the years, I mean, literally five, six years, he and I would get lunch once or twice a year, catch up, encourage each other. He does global work. I'm involved in global work, that kind of stuff. But because of our strategy of like, we want to be invested in a few places, he never once pushed the envelope of, why aren't you guys involved in Food for the Hungry? Which Mm. I wouldn't have faulted him for doing that. He's passionate about it. And I will say now it's a wonderful ministry, now that I know much more about it, Um, but um, this sounds like a left turn, but it's not. Haiti is nuts right now. Yeah. Um, the civil unrest there, the government upheaval, it, it is not an overstatement to say that country is basically being run by a gang right now. It is, mm-hmm. I would say that it is worse off now than it was even right after the earthquake uh, in wow. 2010. Like it is in bad shape. So pray for our... yes. Uh, brothers and sisters down there, our church down there, our ministry partners down there, it is it is a mess. Um, well, we used to send four, five-plus yes. teams to Haiti a Absolutely. year. Absolutely, I remember um, the calls. Yeah, heavily invested in our partner ministries there. There's some great work happening, and 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 the, especially even in the turmoil, our Haitian leaders, they're, they're killing it. Mm-hmm. As much as they're able to, they are doing wonderful work. But we couldn't take teams there anymore. Wow. And being a part of a short-term team is so life-changing for the traveler. Um, like, I, I usually recommend that, like, if, if you even remotely have access as a follower of Jesus to take at least one overseas Mm-hmm. ministry trip, a missions trip, you, you need to do it. Mm-hmm. You need to see people worshiping in a different language. You need mm. to see how God is far beyond the culture that we see on a day-to-day basis. You need to see how other people live, and in some of these cases, how people that have truly what feels like close to nothing seem to have more joy than some of the folks we know that seem to have almost everything. Amen, yeah. And so there's just so much that God does in us, and then that that devoted time of being away for five or seven or nine or 14 days yes. and just being probably more focused on God consistently than you are on a normal basis, 
the team building that leads up the months before. I just can't speak highly enough about that process. We love that, and that was we're missing that when we can't take those four-plus trips a year to Haiti. Mm-hmm. So now where do we send people? Okay. And so I called up Michael, mm-hmm. and I said, hey, we've been getting together for years. You talk very highly of your ministry. We're looking for a new place to get invested, at least for the short term, while we can't go to Haiti. What would this look like? So Michael and I started talking. They had present. We talked about what we were looking for, what we were praying about. They presented three different locations that they work at around the world. They said, we think these fit what you're mm-hmm. looking for. We took those back to our global direction team here, some people that are heavily invested in missions at Grace Church, and we prayed over them. We went, read through the profiles. We looked at what was possible, and we landed on a small village that's called Chell, Guatemala. Right. And uh, it's a wonderful place. It is if you don't know much about Guatemala, the mountain scenes there are picturesque and gorgeous. It is like green, rolling mountains, jungle. It is gorgeous, gorgeous scenery. Um, and then uh, they're also very much known for their coffee. You see coffee terraces up and down the hills and mountains all over the place. Wow. Like it is wonderful. And it takes, <laughs> if I'm remembering the hours right, about a 10 hour journey to get from the airport to Chell. Well, those mountains are beautiful, and sometimes they're in your way. (laughs) Sounds like a worship song. And also, it sounds like a hard place to get to. And, you know, we do hard things, even if that means it's the drive that's hard or the barrier from point A to point B. Yep. And so we're able to do lots of fun work there. We're partnered with the local town leadership and the schools and the local churches, and um, we're doing initiatives with the kids and with um, uh, empowering women into marketplace ideas, and we're um, working on some infrastructure things. We're doing child sponsorship. I mean, like it was a really fascinating way to build an, a, a right-of-way partnership. And then the Food for the Hungry team that's from Guatemala, they lead the way for us. Mm-hmm. And so they help us not to overstep. They help us to do what needs done. They help us build the right relationship and not step on toes. And so it's a beautiful picture of actually working with um, people that know what they're doing, people that know how to navigate the culture, and it allows us to come in as servants and not um, kind of bulldoze our way in, which is great. Right. Well, I can't imagine it's every day that a church the size of ours (laughs) comes to your mission in your country to say, we have all these hands and all these feet. Can we come in and help? So I bet they're pretty thankful for that. All right. So from what I know of you, it sounds like there's all this global stuff happening, Mm -hmm. but you have not let go of the urban development side of your job by any means. Uh -uh. So let's fly back to Akron and let's talk about what you're doing here in our city. I know that you are involved in Love Akron, which is an organization that I would love to hear your explanation of because I'm still not certain, but I I would like buy into anything that they say because I trust them, but I would love to understand what they do here and what you do with them. Yeah. So, yeah, I get I get to have my hands in a lot here locally, and um, Love Akron is an organization that I've been um, a part of on a on a minor scale for a very long time. Um, probably since back in that like 2010 arena of time, um, but. I also serve on Urban Vision's board, mm-hmm. and um, Urban Vision's a wonderful ministry in North Hill, do great community development work, all for Jesus. Um, and one of the people that was serving on that board with me, his name was Kemp Boyd. And so Kemp and I got together a few times, had breakfast, and we just realized like from the jump 
that we felt like we instantly met a brother. Um, mm-hmm. Like, wow, I could almost get emotional about that. Yeah. Like, be careful. Yeah, there's some ties there, heart to heart. Um, <laughs> so he's just been uh, a huge blessing in my life. And um, about two and a half years ago from the time that we're recording this, he was appointed as the next director of Love Akron. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved Love Akron. I loved Kemp. And now that those two were forged <laughs> together, I'm like, let's <laughs> go is exactly <laughs> it. And so um, I've just said, you know, I, 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 Kemp, as much as I can trust a person, I trust you. I think um, if you're familiar with the book of Esther, you know, Esther was raised up for such a time as this. Mm-hmm, I feel yes. like that's why Kemp Boyd was in Akron was for this reason. Um, and what Love Akron tries to do is try to connect and convene different people from all around the city to live up to its title, to Love Akron. Mm-hmm. And so if they can connect marketplace people and churches and local government and education and all of that, because there's an initiative that needs to happen, then they want to do that. They want to convene people. And so if there's a wonderful organization or leader in a small neighborhood doing something, and then there's this, let's just say, church on in the suburbs, it's like, we're passionate about blah, blah, blah. Love Akron wants to be a conduit to pull them together to see, can these volunteers, can this leadership come in and help you achieve your vision and your dreams of what's happening here, and really see the body of Christ be activated citywide. And so that's been fun to watch, kind of get a new face, a new chapter with them um, sometime in 2021. I think it was uh, around the summertime, they actually asked me to be on their board of Love Akron, and so now I get to sit in that seat as well. And um, when a year prior to that, when um, when George Floyd uh, was murdered and um, when all of that racial tension really started to um, explode across our country. Certainly Akron wasn't immune to that. And we felt like, you know, how do we show the true solidarity and desire to, to see the city be together, to watch the church, to watch the people of Jesus rise above the division and polarization that is so natural for the world to settle in and how do we live for Jesus in spite of it all? Absolutely. And so a few pastors came together with Kemp, and they started a podcast, which was actually the inception of something called One City. Mm-hmm. Um, the podcast, which is now called The Intersection, um, is uh, Kemp hosts it, and then um, Jeff, Pastor Jeff, and uh, Bishop Joey Johnson from the House of the Lord are the two regulars, where they discuss theology, and they discuss race, and they discuss those tensions. And through our two churches talking about and praying about how does this work, this now I think it's almost a movement of what's known as one city kind of birthed. And so now there are 10 churches, 10 local churches that meet regularly to come together to figure out four major initiatives throughout the city. How do we equip people to better represent uh, the church and the community? How do we um, create spaces for people to encounter one another? Um, it's really hard mm-hmm. to love someone if you don't know their story, Absolutely. if you don't know where they're coming from. And it's amazing how much when you do know their story, where the the philosophical or um, even theological differences start to become secondary Absolutely. because you realize like this is a person 
um, in many cases that loves Jesus, and in every case is loved by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so how can we start to unite those things? So that's those encounter spaces. And then the third way is how do we love our community really, really well? Um, there's a couple, for instance, two of the churches that serve together now, uh, they do an annual um, shoe-like drive, an event for a, um, a, um, a rough neighborhood. They've worked. Those two churches come together. They do an amazing thing. They've got a shoe company behind them, a lovely guy. I don't want to name drop right now. It's probably not appropriate, <laughs> but they do wonderful things. They give over, out over 1,000 pairs of wow. shoes in this neighborhood. And so they're able to do those kind of things together. We want to serve and love well. And then the fourth thing is we want to be salt and light together. How do we make sure that the hope of Jesus is as accessible in every nook and cranny of the greater Akron areas we possibly can. So one city is kind of like the the mission of Jesus arm of Love Akron, and uh, I get to be a part of that and, and with my seat with Love Akron, and so that's a, a really fun place to be involved. That's awesome. So you talked a lot about partners, mm-hmm. and so we have Love Akron, which what I what I love about Love Akron is that that big C church, that Akron across um, our our borders, um, lack of borders, I should say, to bring those churches together to do the right thing um, and to further the kingdom of God within our city. Um, that's wonderful. Um, can you share a little more about the other urban partners yeah. that... So uh, you said the ones from way back in, what, 2008, 2009. I remember that, Barberton. Yeah. That, um, if you listen to the podcast previous, um, that life group with Kyle and Nadine Crocker in I Care 2009, we went to that mission in Barberton and um, the Garage and Urban Vision and South Street and, yeah. and First Glance. Talk more about those and the evolution even of uh-huh. what you've seen happen and, and kind of how you see see that, because you have probably a very unique view compared to many people in our city on how that's evolved. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, those organizations that you mentioned are phenomenal. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing the, um, the grassroots work in some of the hardest places in our local communities. Um, so the garage is over in Wadsworth, and, you know, there's not even necessarily bad stereotypes about certain communities. A lot of people have asked me, there's a "Quote unquote city ministry in Wadsworth," and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, there's um, all of the teenagers that feel like they're misplaced or are having trouble, or their family lives have fallen apart. Like they fall through the cracks, and the garage has a great job of kind of swooping in and and really giving community and hope to those kids and families. Um, you mentioned Urban Vision. I mm-hmm. mentioned them as well. They're doing wonderful work. South Street is very comparable to Urban Vision. They're down in the Summit Lake neighborhood. Uh, love their leadership there. Uh, I was just with Joe Tucker this week. He's uh, a wonderful guy, a wonderful leader. Their staff is amazing. They're so passionate about re- reaching and helping with some of the deepest needs in their community. Um, they do reentry thing with people coming out of the jails and prison systems. They are just they don't shy away from hard things. And I think that's one of the reasons we resonate with them so closely. Um, First Glance over in Kenmore does um, incredible work with youth and families and young moms and, um, and just even networking with other local businesses and initiatives that are happening in their community. Um, Noelle Beck was their founder director, and she's a dynamo Woo-hoo. in our city. Uh, I know you're good friends <laughs> yes. with her. And... Um, I just I've learned so much uh, from Noel over the years. 
Um, and now Jess Swiger, who is their uh, current oh, executive yeah. director, she's also amazing. Like, I don't know how you are able to find <laughs> um, a kind of a quote-unquote replacement director right. and it still be such a strong um, lead in that role. And so um, they're, they just do wonderful work in that community and love them so well. We have others like Rahab. Uh, Rahab is now in multiple counties, but they um, really spearhead the like anti-sex trafficking work in our area. Mm-hmm. And um, they are l- leading the charge, like to the point to where local governments are calling Rahab and saying, how do you do this wow. kind of stuff? Yes. Um, they, they have exploded as a ministry. I think even four or five years ago, they were probably a handful or so of employees. Mm-hmm. Another staff is over 50. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they're just there's so much work to do, which is wonderful that they're doing it and tragic that it's needed. Yes. Um, but there's they're just truly, honestly, leading the way on what does it mean to love those. And honestly, I don't want to go necessarily here today, but I also think they're going to be a huge resource on teaching us how to re- uh, to love and reach for Jesus, the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. um, because they see it day in and day out and day in and day out wow. in this world. So. Um, they're learning a lot, and they are so faithful to Christ, and um, they're 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 doing wonderful work. Yeah, that's um, something to tune into for sure. Yeah, and then there's South Akron Youth Mentorship. Yes. Um, Ron Kent's one of my favorite people. <laughs> um, you know, he's the executive director over there, and they're doing a great job mentoring a bunch of young folks and. Um, I, I'm going to apologize as I move forward. I'm not looking at a formal list. Yep. I don't know others <laughs> ask this question, so I'm probably blanking <laughs> on one or two of our other partners. But like these organizations are doing wonderful ministry. And what we realize is um, any local church, um, barring very, very, very few exceptions, is not wired to get that niche. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, a church is a community of people. They're going to have varying passions, varying gifts, varying communities even that they live in. And so these nonprofit parachurch ministries are able to find those niches mm-hmm. and lead us into how do we serve in these areas the best mm-hmm. and, and the most and see the most change happen, where truly 15 years ago, I would have been inclined to say, well, can I just go mow an old lady's lawn and can I go pass out some water bottles to the homeless? Both of those things are great. Yeah. Please do not mishear me. But now I'm learning from these partners because they have the success stories. They have the transformed lives. They have the turned upside down families. They have all of these things and they're teaching us and they're showing us the best ways to invest in someone, to best ways to invest in a neighborhood, to see lasting and long-term change. And so we try to listen to that. We try yeah. to mobilize to that um, because most of us probably don't want to do work where we turn around a year later and it, it's like the work never happened. Um, and while we can't guarantee, of course, that any one individual will respond healthily the best practices are there at our fingertips because of the wonderful ministry these organizations are doing. And so it's an honest privilege to, right. to, to work with them, to uh, be arm-in-arm arm with them, and, and to see that when we look at the landscape of Akron, at these seven, eight, and then honestly there are plenty of other organizations doing great Jesus work, um, there's a lot that is like 
ripe for the harvest, so to speak, That's for our right. community, and it's pretty awesome. That's so good. I, I think about this in a relational sense, but I think it applies here as well. Um, our church is fishing for men, right? We're out mm-hmm. here, we're fishing, we're fishing, but there is a need to get on some scuba gear yeah. and to go into the depths with a harpoon and hunt down that yeah. thing that's that's down in that depth, mm-hmm. and that takes a specialized skill. Yep. Well, we're up here fishing, we're all on the same mission. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just done a little differently. And yep. then with that one city, with that love, Akron, and with the communication between all those leaders, that positive that we are all working toward the same goal and mm-hmm. we're not hindering one another from success, I, that's that's the best thing that could happen to our city. And and you can see it. I think I think you can feel the changes. Yeah. And um, you know, so we've talked about the global perspective and and then bringing it into the city. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go into your home. Let, yeah. Let's go into Joe and sure. what your house looks like. You've mentioned your wife. Introduce yeah. us to her and, yeah. and tell us a little bit about your home. So, uh, yeah, my wife uh, is amazing, and I like to call her my better third because <laughs> if you know me and you know her, she's not even close to my better half. She's like half my size. So, um, But uh, we actually met at that church that I was a youth pastor at. Mm-hmm. She was kind of getting a fresh start coming home and, and finishing up school at Akron, tried a new church, and uh, a mutual friend of ours introduced us by saying, Joe, this is Mandy. Mandy, this is Joe. You're both single, and walked away. <laughs> That's how we were introduced. We need more friends like that in the world. I know, right? Like, um, and I did have the love at first sight moment. Like, okay. um, her eyes, her smile. I, I, I literally had the thought that day: this is the girl I want to marry. You know, yeah. And uh, I, on the other hand, had just got done playing church softball, and so I was dirty and sweaty and <laughs> gross. Um, and she, while she didn't have a, a she wasn't repelled from me. She did not have that love at first sight <laughs> smell or, or view. Sniff at first um, yeah. yeah, sniff at first sight. So, um, But a few months later, we actually didn't see each other for a while. Um, we, we reconnected, and we had a great conversation that lasted for hours. Um, I, uh, I called her up the next day, and I said, do you want to go out tonight? And she did, and... Um, I took her to uh, Luigi's in Akron because I love that place. Yes. And uh, I took her to a movie, and I realized it's funny later. She there, she must have saw something in me or trusted that mutual friend because I wore a style of shirt that is her least favorite. Okay. I took her to a place that at the time she was not that fond of in Luigi's. Uh-huh. Um, she's since come around on there. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then I took her to a movie which. Mandy does not like movies. Like Mandy literally watches one or two a year, and that includes at home. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, she is not a movie person. And so the fact that she did both of those things with a guy wearing a shirt she doesn't like at all, I'm like, okay, Lord, thank you for pushing through <laughs> to the next um, date. But we um, we hit it off. I mean, I that was August, um, and by December we were talking about getting married. Wow. Um, in... Uh, that spring, I, I, she took me to the place that her family goes on vacation every year in the Outer Banks, and she said, just so you know, if we ever elope, this is where we're getting married. Oh, wow. Um, and we were there for one night with her family and then drove right back home. Um, that summer, I proposed at 11 months of dating, wow. and then we got married six months after that. And so we were we moved pretty quickly, but it was, uh, we just kind of, I want to be careful here. We both knew but I think we just knew that we were willing to commit to each other. Okay. Like it's not Let's just about, about the butterflies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, 
marriage is about commitment and sacrifice. I'm like, you know, I will give myself to this person for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. so we just kind of knew that this is the person I want to do that with. Mm-hmm. And you've been driving down to Outer Banks ever since, every, right? Every every year ever since, yeah. So gosh, I mean, Mandy and I are coming up on 17 years of marriage. Can't believe I'm old enough <laughs> to say that now, but. Um, so yeah, I've been the, we've been going there for like eighteen times now or something like that. It's been a lot. You of You still go with her family. We do. I'm, I'm yeah. curious actually to dig a little more into sure. the six months of dating and you're in Outer Banks with her family in a I'm guessing yeah. a beach house. So yep. how how's the family like in law so status? I I struck gold when okay. it comes to in laws. Um, I, I um I could not speak highly enough about my mother-in-law and father-in-law. Um, that is a rare and beautiful thing it, to hear oh, and to have in your life. I mean, honestly, they, they just are a godsend to me. And um, I used to tease both Mandy and her brother that I was the favorite kid uh, for a long time. <laughs> um, but they just really have been a, a huge blessing. They're both so warm and so kind, and they have welcomed me from the get-go. I mean, everything from playing small practical jokes on me early mm. to just really taking care of me, even at, like, holidays and stuff. I've just never felt like I was an outsider coming in. I've always just felt like I was family mm-hmm. from the get-go. Um, my brother-in-law, who's also quite wonderful, um, he introduced himself to me. Uh, I remember when I picked Mandy up on our first date and I walked into their breezeway, Mandy was motioning me through because her and her fa- uh, parents were in the backyard. And I look over into their kitchen doorway, and there's my now brother-in-law standing with the cheesiest grin on his face, waving like a moron (laughs) with his pants down around his ankles. (laughs) Like just probably that total like, you know, that's my sister. I'm trying to almost scare you off type of thing. But like just total – and he is a goofball, and I love him for it. Well, that's your love language Uh, too, so they they nailed it. Totally. Um, Practical jokes, sarcasm, all that fits right in with you. One hundred percent. And so, yeah, I have just truly—they are uh, just a true blessing to me. So that was easy. And then even vacationing with them, um, it's just great. I, I, as the in-law, truly look forward to vacationing with them every year. And we do. We stay in the same house, and um, it's great. And now it's you know, my uh, obviously my wife and our daughter who's uh, seven and. and then my brother-in-law and uh, and his now wife and their two little kids and then um, my parents. And then every once in a while, we find someone to invite along with us. But it's mm-hmm. just a wonderful dynamic. And I, uh, so Mandy's uh, maiden name is Robinson. And so we're the Robinson Caruso uh, <laughs> Oh, my home. gosh. How and, have I never put that together before? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that Robinson-Caruso combo is, uh, is a Powerhouse. real cool thing. Yeah. Right there. So what do you and Mandy love to do together? So she doesn't... Like movies, no. cheesy pizza. She doesn't like movies. Yeah. Like these are um, heartbeats, from what I understand of you. So yeah, yeah, what are your favorite things to do together then? Yeah, I appreciate that you think cheesy pizza is a heartbeat of mine. Uh, well, no, no. I know it your story, actually, so, but yeah. it's part no, of your it, it part really of your story. Um, no, we we like to explore together, um, and so. Um, we got married in January, and so one of the things we like to do every year, even if it ends up not being in January, is we like to try to get a weekend away mm-hmm. and try to go to a new city or a new state or a new place. Um, and we love to walk around cities and do walking food tours if we can mm-hmm. and check out the, the the historical sites and find good snacks at different places and try out the new foodie places and like we love to do that stuff, and then we'll get adventure. We we like to go on hikes and kayak. And um, Mandy discovered that she really likes to paddleboard, and I discovered I'm yes. terrible at paddleboarding. But like, 
Um, so we we love to just kind of get out and about. And then she loves to cook, um, and so she's very, very good at it. And so we kind of like to explore those things together. I'm more of a helper. I don't mm-hmm. know that I have any specific kitchen skills. but um, And then kind of with all of that, we love to host. Uh, we love to have people over. Um, we host some of the leadership teams that I oversee at my house. We we host a life group now, mm-hmm. um, and we just we even when we bought our house, like it was kind of a we want to use this to to that's invite right. people in and feel welcomed and feel like they're a part of things. So that's right, yeah. absolutely. Um, I want to remind you of a time that I bumped into you at Crave in downtown Akron. Yeah, was yeah. that with your brothers? It was okay, yeah. and it seemed that day as though you were creating or or just trying to ideate an Akron walking food tour. I was, and yeah. you were. I think you'd hit Luigi's and mm-hmm. you hit Crave, and you were moving on from there. So yeah, we so. Um, Whenever we go to these cities, we do it. We if they have one, we try to do a walking food tour. And at the time, at least, and I think even as of right now, there's not one in Akron, not a formal one anyway. And I thought I'm going to start one. Yes, uh, I love to chat with people. I love to explore these things. I love food, and so um, I, I did. I, I created a little bit of a map. It was up and down Main Street in downtown Akron, and I had five stops, and it was kind of like. A, th- a three appetizer mm-hmm. land at Luigi's for pizza, and then there used to be a specific place in the North Side Market that we would hit up for dessert. And that place isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and then I had started the bullet point, some like Akron tour things because there's actually a lot in Akron that's pretty fascinating. And um, I remember I was like, okay, Mandy, like I'm gonna push go, and she goes, okay, I'm just gonna pause for a second, and I, she goes. In what free time yes. are you going to run this side business? And yep. I said, that is a really excellent question because, you know, food tours are Saturday, Sunday type things in mm-hmm. particular. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm usually <laughs> taken up on those days. And um, and so it's still an idea um, mm-hmm. The uh, in the back of my mind and, you know, I can do everything kind of way. I, I would love to maybe still spark that sometime, but it... Food tours are so fun, mm-hmm. uh, and I, uh, that is a, a really fun thing that we like to do. Well, at a recent sermon, you talked about get, remind if you remember the number of to dos on your <laughs> task list. Yeah, uh, sixteen hundred <laughs> was the item at the time. Something like that. Yeah. But if I understood you correctly, something like that could could be on that list. Like we've got a dream. Mm-hmm. Like there's got to be these bigger picture. Um, gosh, wouldn't it be cool if, and even just praying through it, like, okay, is there intentionality? Is there, um, if you heard mine, an eternal purpose um, that we can uh, tie into here that food in Akron can happen? So, you know, thinking of there's tasks and there's um, these, uh, all the things that we could be, could take our time. Um, What kind of big picture dreams do you have that are not yet uh, materialized other than the Akron Walking Food Tour? Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I could open up that list, I suppose, because mm-hmm. I actually do have a little bit of a, a dream board in there. But um, I, I have this ideal that um, we can find common ground in Christ almost no matter what our backgrounds are. And so, like, for instance, one of our passions here at Grace is 30 and 30, we want to see 30 churches planted or campuses planted in the course of 30 years. Um, and then uh, I also know, <clears throat> excuse me, there are 
some other ministries and churches throughout Akron that have a different flavor of a similar passion. And, and Jeff and I are in conversations with churches like that all the time, so it's not a secret, but um, I would love to figure out ways to see like those networks formulate to where uh, maybe a church with a similar passion um, could join up with us and start to see some of their dreams happen in a way that maybe feel infeasible mm. right now, um, but with a like-minded uh, kind of sister church, start to see those things come together. Um, I know some of the city ministries I've mentioned, like they do great work in their neighborhood, but their um, their ministry would serve so well in another neighborhood. And is there something like almost like a 30 and 30, but multiplying these like inner city ministry okay. concepts into new... Because uh, there's 24 neighborhoods proper in mm-hmm. Akron. And so kind of looking at that grid, if you will, of Akron, and then even its su- suburban and, and outside communities and say, okay, this neighborhood seems to have these needs. It brings all of these assets to the table. Are there ways that the the ministries, the people, and the churches that are already a part of that neighborhood, and then interested parties, maybe from the quote-unquote outside, could start to see those very unique things start to take place right there at their at their feet. And so that collaboration and that that working together, that willingness to go slow so that you can figure out the the deep relational common ground is like such a um, a principle and a, just a passion of mine because it's um it's not a formula. It's just rarely proven wrong. When you actually slow down enough, it's almost like Jesus was on to something. When your intention is to love God and do what he wants, and then to love other people. When you slow down enough to do those two things, something magical, but in reality, something supernatural and spiritual happens to unite people under the same unity that Jesus prayed for in the garden, and it's unreal to see what can take place from there. So those are the that's high, high-level stuff, but like I, I can like stay up at night sometimes yeah. like dreaming and praying about that. That's it. That's it right there. <laughs> that's the sparkle. That's the magic. Yeah. And you can see, as you hear everything that we've journeyed through here, how that would come to the the point where where you're at now. That's yep. like a culmination of all the skills, the experiences, and the passions that God has given you these experiences to to build to today. So I've learned a lot about you, which is wonderful. Um, love getting to know you more deeply and sharing that out here with the world. And I just want to I want to thank you. Um, I want to thank you for one very specific thing. I want to thank you for telling Brad Dietz Creek that you were interested in this um, urban development, that that was in your heart. Because if you just kept that in your mind and thought, oh, I'm going to keep thinking about this and and didn't take that from the inside and push it out, who knows? God still would have done amazing things, but it wouldn't have done in my life potentially what it did for me. And I say that because that one year later when you did I Care, that changed my world. Mm. So those pieces along the way, and there are probably thousands of humans that could come and sit here and tell you that exact same thing. So thank you for being obedient to the calls that you've been given, for um, wondrously packing 
so many things into a 24-hour day that we're all given um, to your wife for the partner that she is for you and your daughter um, for her sacrifice along the way as well and you're leading her so well and for everything that you give to this church because it is a wonderful gift to me and lives are changing as a result of it. So, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you here today. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's fun to be on this side of the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it.